Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This podcast is part of E2C Network, where we share the whole Auburn experience. Hello and welcome to War Horses, the only college equestrian podcast that checks through every score sheet for all the meets just to see if there are any math errors. I'm your host, Auburn Elvis. Let's talk about some college equestrian. We are no longer in the preseason. The 2022-23 NCAA college equestrian season has begun. We had five meets ridden this weekend and it was pretty exciting. So let's get started and recap this week's action. First, we'll get started with some meets that happened on Friday. First up is South Carolina at Delaware State. Now, if you'll remember last year, South Carolina started off their season with some pretty rough road trips, and then they piled up a bunch of losses early, and things never really got much better for the Gamecocks. Not this year, though. They started off the way you would want to do it, if you're a Gamecock fan. They went on the road to visit Delaware State, and this one started out a little close. South Carolina would get a point, then Delaware State would get a point, and they went back and forth like that for a little bit, and then things kind of shifted. South Carolina would get two points, or maybe three, and then Delaware State would get one, and it sort of went on like that until you had the final score of South Carolina 14, Delaware State 6. So, like I said, this was a really good result for South Carolina. They really wanted to start the season off strong, and things seemed to be going exactly how they want them to go. I will say that for Delaware State, they were definitely the underdog in this. Um, They maybe had a chance to pull off the uh, home upset. I think they actually did do pretty well. There's some encouraging things they can take away from this meet. Like I said, it was close to start out, and so I'm sure they're going to use this as a way to, you know, get better through the rest of the season and maybe make some noise in the ECAC conference. Now, once that meet concluded, uh, then South Carolina turned right around and they rode against Minnesota Crookston. This meet only had four riders in every event, and South Carolina jumped ahead and pretty much stayed ahead the whole way start to finish. Uh, South Carolina ended up 13, uh, and Minnesota Crookston ended up with three. So, another big win for the Gamecocks. Like I said, everything went really well for them this weekend. I'll also say that for Minnesota Crookston, it wasn't too bad, considering that they're a fairly new program. You know, South Carolina is a lot more established, has a lot more athletes. So, this being the first meet for the Golden Eagles this this season, um, I think they're going to be able to use it as a way of getting their younger riders, in particular, more used to some big-time NCEA competition. Oh, one other thing to talk about here is if you were following me on social media, you would know that also this meet was the first meet for the new assistant head coach of Minnesota Crookston, Haley Pembroke. Now, she is a former Auburn rider, and this is the part where I say my catchphrase for her, which is, if it's Pembroke, don't fix it. Now, longtime fans of the show will remember that uh, I had Haley on as a guest a few years back, just as she was graduating from Auburn and going into grad school over at Nebraska. And uh, we might have to check back in with her and see if she'd be willing to come back on the show and do another interview. So we'll see. So after that meet, we're going to move on to the main event of the weekend, TCU at Texas A&M. 
Now, this one figured to be very interesting. Texas A&M is ranked number two in the NCEA's preseason ranking. TCU is ranked number three in those same rankings. I personally have not come out with my rankings yet. We have, don't have all the teams kind of, you know, ready to compete. So I'm still looking at all the stuff and who um, has lost whom from their starting line, all that good stuff. So basically, I'll just say that uh, it's okay if you want to go off the NCA rankings because these things have a way of working themselves out. I was actually pretty certain that Texas A&M was not the second best team in the country, but, you know, oh well. Uh, they lost about half of the riders from their starting lineup last year. Uh, for graduation, whereas TCU only lost, I think, two riders from last year's starting lineup. And so even though this one was over in College Station, a place where TCU had never won before, I really like the Horn Frogs' chances um, to pull the upset because, again, they're returning so much talent from last year. Well, once the meet got going, uh, Texas A&M jumped out to a little bit of a lead. Uh, They did really well considering how many of the starters they were replacing from last year. Um, But every time they would go out to a little bit of a lead, TCU would come back. And it would go back and forth like that for a little while, well, pretty much the whole day, until the final ride. uh, Texas A&M was ahead by one point, but then TCU took that final ride, so then that tied everything up at 10-all. And then they had the tiebreaker calculations, and TCU was the winner. So... Decent little upset there. Actually, also, it was the first time TCU had ever won in College Station. So, another notable stat for that one. But this was a really big early win for TCU. Um, Actually, if you'll recall, last season, they did not start out in the fall very well at all. They lost almost every meet in the fall. And then they kind of flipped that in the spring and won almost every meet in the spring. So, tale of two uh, seasons for them, or two, um, uh, two semesters for them, really. Well, this time they started out really hot, um, pulled the big upset of um, Texas A&M, and now, you know, it looks like they're going to be going back and forth with Oklahoma State potentially this season, back and forth. So we'll see how that goes. I will say that Oklahoma State returns almost everybody from their um, national championship uh, starting lineup from last year. So yeah, we'll see how that's all going to go. But we're not really talking about Oklahoma State this week. We're talking about TCU and Texas A&M. Um, I'll say that for Texas A&M, they almost won this. And they don't have anything to be ashamed of, especially because they were replacing so much of their starting talent. Um, they held on to the lead for most of the entire meet. Um, and that was a little surprising considering how much uh, they were having to replace there. That just goes to show that they have a lot of talent over there, and I think once they get a couple of meets under their belt, they're probably going to be a challenge for anybody in the country. Now, on a side note, I will say that there was another little interesting development that happened with this uh, meet. There must have been some confusion at the way that the tiebreaker totals were calculated because TCU and Texas A&M reported different tiebreaker totals. So that got me interested. I went in and I looked at the online score sheet that was being updated throughout the meet, and I ran my calculations on what I thought the tiebreaker total should be just to see who was right. And I came up with a third set of numbers that was different from theirs. So it was really confusing. Um, over the weekend, I would poke back in and check and see, well, has anything changed on that? It had not until Monday morning. Then the official score sheets made their way online. And I was able to actually look at those and check the math and confirm that the numbers that Texas A&M had reported on Friday were the correct tiebreaker uh, scores. So with Friday out of the way, let's go on over to Saturday's action and take a look at Minnesota Crookston at Delaware State. Now, with this meet, I thought it was going to be a little bit closer than it turned out to be. It did not turn out to be very close. Um, So I guess there's a decent gap in talent between Minnesota Crookston and some of the other schools in the ECAC. 
um, particularly the ones that have been doing this longer. So anyway, all that to say, Delaware State pretty much ran away with this one from start to finish. The final score ended up being 12-3. to So, you know, even with that loss to South Carolina the day before, Delaware State picks themselves right back up off the mat, and they get in there and uh, pretty much put it over on uh, Minnesota Crookston. That gives the Hornets a nice um, uh, conference win. So they're technically leading the ECAC conference, but it's pretty much because nobody else in the conference has ridden. But that's okay. Good job anyway, Hornets. Now, let's take a look at the final meet of the weekend, Lynchburg at Dartmouth. Now, these are both single-discipline teams, and if you'll remember, back in April, Lynchburg was able to upset Sweetbriar and take home the single-discipline national championship. And this Saturday, they began their defense of their crown by going on the road to Dartmouth in Hanover, New Hampshire. And the Hornets looked every bit as good as they did in the national championship tournament, nearly sweeping Dartmouth by the final score of 7-1. to Now, there was another interesting detail about this meet where the official score sheet that was posted on Monday morning, once I reviewed it, I discovered that there were a few minor math errors in the tiebreaker totals. Now, obviously, this meet did not end in a tie, so the tiebreaker totals were not needed. But they were still incorrectly calculated, and that's just something you don't want to see on a score sheet, regardless of whether or not that part is needed. Your score sheet should have correct math on it, because math is very important to this sport, especially if you were to get a tie. Um, So at this point, I want to backtrack just a little bit and go back in time and tell you a little bit of a story. So I might have alluded to this story in the past here and there, but I don't think I've actually ever told it on the podcast yet, so I'm going to go ahead and do that now. One of the things that I do is I track statistics so that when there is a big meet I'm covering, I can actually go out and tell people, okay, when these two riders are matched up, we expect this rider to beat that rider in a head-to-head. And all that is calculated based on the winning percentages that these riders have, have done throughout their careers. So the way I do that is there's no real one location that you can find all these statistics. Basically, everybody has their score sheets, and that's just what it all is. So if you want a cumulative set of statistics, you have to go out and do it yourself. So I go through and I look through every score sheet and I enter it into a nice fancy spreadsheet that I've got and it helps me enter and track the data. Now near the end of last season, I was going through this process. I had a little bit of a backlog of some score sheets that I had not entered into my spreadsheet yet. And when I was going through these, I noticed that a lot of these score sheets had some minor errors, particularly with the tiebreaker calculations. Now most of these were for meets that did not require a tiebreaker, um, just like in that Dartmouth-Lynchburg situation that happened this weekend. But still, you don't want math errors on your official score sheet. So once I discovered these errors, I went back and I started reviewing every single score sheet for the entire season. And I found out that somewhere between two-thirds and three-quarters of all of the score sheets for the entire sport had some sort of error in the math on them somewhere. Now, that's pretty unacceptable. And in looking at it and doing the research, I was able to pretty much make an educated guess that these errors were happening because there was essentially a cell uh, calculations in some of the spreadsheets that all of these schools were using had somehow gotten corrupted or messed up and nobody had noticed. And so everybody was using these spreadsheets, but they had an error in them. And I want to say that this wasn't just any particular school. This was every school. 
every school in the nation, at least all of the dual discipline schools, had issues with meets that they hosted. There were there were um, math errors with their score sheet. So what I did was since oh, but I, do, I one important detail is none of the errors would have caused the uh, winner of the meet to be different. Okay. So none of these were a significant enough problem that it would have flipped who won the meet. So with that in mind, I decided, okay, I'm not going to call this out and make a big hoopla over this. What I'll do instead is I'll write up a summary of my findings. I'll have some examples, and then I'll show the math and say, okay, here's how it should work based on the tiebreaker rules that are in the NCEA rulebook. And I put all that into a big email, and I sent it off to the NCEA, and they said, oh, well, you know, we'll look into this. So. From what I saw this weekend, you know, fast forward to now, there have been some changes in that spreadsheet because it doesn't have the kind of errors that it had last season. Um, Really, the only error that we saw, like I said, was that Dartmouth-Lynchburg error. And it was it was different than the types of errors I saw last year. So I think what it is, is they were using the correct spreadsheet that has all the stuff. But some they had a human operator operator error over there at Dartmouth, and somebody must have accidentally, when selecting a field, must have messed up the math behind that field or something. It couldn't be that it was the same spreadsheet from last year, and none of the other sp- uh, score sheets from this weekend had anything close to that kind of an error. They didn't have any errors, so this was just a one-time thing, I think. But unlike last year, I'm not just going to say, oh, okay, well, we'll sweep this under the rug and let the NCA handle it. Last year, you know, it was near the end of the season when I discovered it. So I just handled it privately. But this year, since we're at the very beginning of the season, whenever I find a math error, I'm going to call it out. I'm going to say, hey, you know what? This is not right. Y'all need to fix this because we got to bring some sunshine on this. We got to bring some light on this because, you know, it's a score sheet. You really don't want the numbers on the score sheet to be wrong. That's the whole point of them is to be correct. Oh, and uh, just for those of you who might be new to the sport, the reason that you tend to have these errors is because you can't simply add up all of the jump and seat raw scores and all of the Western raw scores and just straight up add them together. And that's because the jump and seat events are based on a 100-point scoring scale and the Western rides are based on a 70-point scoring set, uh, uh, set of numbers. So what you have to do is you apply a formula to the Western scores so that you can um, then add that uh, adjusted Western total in with the, the jump and seat scores. And one interesting thing about that Western equivalency formula, which is what it's called in the rulebook, is some of the parameters of the formula change based on whether you're doing four riders in every event or five riders in every event. It also could change if you're doing multiple judges in the event. Uh, A lot of the errors I saw last year were meets that only had four riders in an event. They were using the formula as if there were five riders in the event, and so it threw things off a little bit. Again, not significantly enough that it would have changed the winner, but still, you just don't want those, those errors on there. So going forward, I think everything should be a lot better. But as these little errors pop up from time to time, I'm going to let everybody know because, again, we don't want errors. So now with all that out of the way, we are going to take a short break right now. And when we come back, I will talk a little bit more about Auburn and what the Tigers are going to be doing over these next two weeks. Okay, now let's talk about Auburn. I know a lot of the listeners are are probably here to talk about Auburn or to hear about Auburn. So without any further ado, let's do that. 
Now, this past weekend, it was homecoming at Auburn, and the Auburn equestrian team from last year was in town because they were being honored at the football game for their SEC championship. Now, typically, uh, the same weekend that they do that, the equestrian program likes to have a kickoff banquet. Well, it's not really a banquet. It's a party. Um, and invite all of the big donors from the Heritage Club, and they give a lot of money, and so they reward them with this little party, and it basically keeps everybody excited about the way the program is going. Now, I got invited. Uh, I went last year. I went again this year. And it was a really fun time. I met a lot of folks that I was excited about meeting. And so basically, as soon as the thing ended, when I got back in my car to, um, to leave, I recorded my immediate impressions of the evening. And now I'm going to play those for you. All right, everybody. This is your friend Auburn Elvis. And I have just left the Auburn Equestrian kickoff party uh, it was really fun. I kind of came out of my shell a little bit this year. Last year, I was a little, I don't know, nervous about just going and meeting these people because, you know, you always wonder, do they get it? Do they understand that dude in the Elvis costume is not really here to hurt anybody? He just happens to be an expert on college equestrian. So anyway, this year, I took full advantage of it. I said, hey, you know what? I need to go and meet these parents of these names, these these girls that are such good riders. So I met the Tordoffs, okay? First, I'll say they are all very tall people. That's great. I'm a tall person, so, you know, they were very nice, had good things to say about their experience. Oh, the jazz hands story came up. Uh, for those of you who don't know, during the media days when all the athletes get their pictures taken and they do the animated GIFs and little quick movies and they strut and they do all these poses and stuff, um, way back when she was a freshman, Olivia Tordoff, she did this one and it kind of looked like she had no idea what she was supposed to do pose-wise, so she just sort of threw her hands up and waved them and it looked like she's doing jazz hands. And so she was, of course, a starter since the day she arrived at Auburn. And so she won a lot of points. And so that little GIF, uh, animated GIF of her doing jazz hands got a lot of play on the interwebs. And so I would start hashtagging it jazz hands whenever I would see it. And of course, it was very funny. And to this day, I have nicknamed her jazz hands. So if you see her, you could call her Jazz Hands because that is a legitimate nickname for Olivia Tordoff. Um, so, yeah, a little stuff like that. Um, I got to meet the Ferrignos, which if you're above a certain age, that last name will mean something to you. And you'll be like, wait a minute, wait a minute. Is that like Lou Ferrigno? Now, I have sort of cyberstalked these people a little bit. And yes, I knew going into this, it is like Lou Ferrigno because um, Ellie Ferrigno, the writer at Auburn, her dad is a gentleman named Rock Ferrigno, who is quite notable himself. He's been on five America Cup uh, yachting teams, and they won one. So yeah, that, that, there's that. But in addition to that, Rock Ferrigno is related to Lou Ferrigno. So I was able to go and talk to them, and they were very nice people. I went and talked to uh, Madison Pardons. Uh, parents or dad. Now, of course, they pronounce their last name Pardoon, but I pronounce it Pardon because it's funnier that way. And so that's what I am going to go with. Um, I went and talked to um, uh, former Western coach, assistant coach, uh, Mary Manili. Boy, you know what? She, she seemed like a lot of stress 
has left her life now that she's not in college coaching anymore. It's really funny how that works. We talked about it and she's still in the industry. She basically is a consultant to get these girls knowledgeable about what it's going to be like you know, going into college, what can they do to maximize their college opportunities, to be noticed more, to get the training that they need. So she's a consultant for um, young writers to get them their best opportunity to succeed in their writing. So she's real happy. I got to learn all about that. Um, I got to meet the new Auburn Western assistant coach who is uh, Taylor Searles, the all everything, all American, all SEC Taylor Searles. So I interviewed her a little bit. I didn't record it because it was kind of a party and I'm not at that point where I want to be obnoxious as a reporter yet. I'll do that later. Um, and, and so I didn't stick a microphone in her face, so I don't have a recording of what she said. But basically the impression I got was that, you know, she's really excited and she feels like that her time at Auburn has really prepared her to step into this role as a coach. Um, I did ask her a tough question about, you know, consistency because that was a problem on the Western side for Auburn, you know, and she gave me a coach speak answer, which is actually a good sign that she's learning the coach speak language. Um, but you know, she generally had positive things to say about the riders and the horses. She even complimented the horses. Um, so if any of the horses are listening to this, you've got a compliment from, uh, Taylor Searles. Uh, but yeah, no, that was fun. Talk with Jessica Braswell about coach, uh, associate coach, and she does the jumping seat side. Talk to her about uniforms. Um, because if you remember from the last episode, I had Clint Richardson from the Auburn Uniform Database on here, and we went through some of the stuff that I knew. Well, there's all kinds of like weird questions that we had that didn't make it into the show that I was able to ask Jessica uh, about. You know, things like, okay, I, please just understand this is all you know we're just trying to get to the 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 root of how uniforms work you know these fitted uh outfits they really need to be fitted and not have gaps like when you look at a man's shirt if he leans over on a button-down shirt you know you can see his t-shirt or if he's got a hairy chest or something you can see the gaps you know in between the buttons well you certainly don't want that to happen with a, a equestrian rider so we're like how does that work you know how is it form-fitted? And so she was like, oh, it's Velcro. We have the buttons, but then there's also, you know, Velcro. And I'm like, of course that makes perfect sense. Because, you know, I was thinking, well, is that front seam just a fake? Is that sewn? And then there's a seam in the back that you never see? Or and she's like, no, 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 no. It's just a regular seam, but we have Velcro. So mystery solved. Uh, I also asked her, you know, how often do you change uniform or add a new uniform? And she said, you know, she told me the lowdown on all that. I won't go into all the details, but, you know, it's about as interesting as you would think that equestrian uniform discussion would be. Have, let that be whatever it is. Um, and, uh, you know, I met other uh, people. Oh, there were some alumni because this is alumni weekend at Auburn, uh, homecoming weekend. And so oh, I finally got to meet Megan Napick. Now, I know Megan Napick sort of, but I've never actually met her, you know, so, but I met her, and, uh, boy, it was so cool to talk to her, yeah, I'm like, hey, you're Megan Navick, you're really cool, and she's like, you're Auburn Ellis, you're really cool too, and we were able to actually talk shop, and there was a parent of a new writer from Canada, so she's the only writer Auburn has from Canada, so you'll be able to figure out who she is, um, and, uh, we talked a lot about just what I try to do with the statistics and try to, you know, say who's favored in a specific ride. And Megan was like, oh, you know, the riders, we, we pay attention to that. So when you don't pick us, we know it. And uh, we're, it kind of fires us up because we're trying to, to beat that. But, you know, it's an honest assessment. 
and she even brought up a story about how when she was like a sophomore, uh, back in the day, for some of y'all people uh, you don't know, uh, the national championship tournament used to be a little weird where instead of doing five riders against five riders, they would just do four riders against four riders in every event. And so what that meant was all during the season, you're, you're typically riding five riders in every event. But then when you would get to the national championship tournament, there would be some poor girl who was your number five rider that the coaches would have to say, sorry, you're, you're not riding in the national championship because there's only four spots because, you know, horses and need to conserve the horses and not having enough. So we had to cut it down. Boom, boom, boom. Anyway, so back then, it was very important to try to predict, well, what will the impact be when you go down from five riders to four riders? Because if you're a really deep team, your fifth rider scores a lot of points for you. And not having that fifth rider can really, you know, put you in a hole. Whereas if you're going up against a team where their top four riders are good, but their fifth rider is terrible, for them, going down to four riders is great because they get rid of a liability. So there were some articles that I wrote back in the day where I was talking about the effect that going down from five riders to four riders was going to have on every team. And I had to single her out and talk about how, well, you know what? She's the fifth rider. She's the one that won't compete because her numbers aren't as good. And, you know, she was like, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, you know, she didn't like hearing that, but she knew it. She, she knew it. She's the rider. So, but then of course the next year, her numbers get better. She gets better. And so she's not in that fifth position. Now, of course the national championship changed where they do five riders now. So that's not an issue, which is great. But for a while it was a big issue. And so, you know, just stuff like that. Hearing that from the riders, it's like, oh, that's so cool. So yeah, um, great evening. Got to see a lot of people that I knew. Some of the rich people who go to all the meets and stuff. They're also donors, so they were there too. Um, yeah, yeah, it was a great evening, and boy, I had a, uh, had a lot of fun. So that is my little uh, not-so-short recap of how the equestrian kickoff party went. Thank you very much. So yeah, if it sounds like I had fun, it's because I did. It was a blast seeing people and meeting people for the first time, and also meeting people that I sort of knew but I had not officially met. It's, it's that weird situation with social media where you can actually become friends with somebody online, even though you have never met them in person. Well. I'm in that situation with a bunch of you riders out there and your parents or some of the coaches or pretty much anybody who interacts with me on social media. So uh, when I get that chance to actually go someplace where, you know, you're not competing, we can all let our hair down and nobody's worried about, you know, grading of, my, of your performance that I'm going to get or anything weird like that. It's just, you know, nice to get around and talk shop and just kind of have some fun. And it turns out that that sort of stuff is really fun. And at least for me, it was, but I'm pretty sure it was fun for everybody. So that was a great evening and I really enjoyed going and doing that. Now let's look ahead to what Auburn is going to be doing this upcoming week. On Friday, let's see, September 30th at 3 p.m. Central Time, uh, the Auburn Equestrian schedule doesn't actually show the time for the scrimmage. Uh, I guess they just don't feel like entering it into their schedules like every other team in the country does, but that's just Auburn being Auburn, I guess. Well, anyway, uh, this Friday is going to be the scrimmage. I plan to be there. Uh, hopefully it's going to be good weather. You never know with the hurricane down in the Gulf and all that, but hopefully it'll be nice weather and everybody can get to do their thing and the new riders that Auburn is bringing into this freshman class will get a chance to show their stuff. 
and Auburn will definitely have some roster spots to fill. Seven of the 20 starting spots are open this year because of graduation, and those seven made up about 30% of Auburn's average uh, point production last year. So in order for the Tigers to remain at the top of the sport, they're going to have to replace those points, and they need to do it pretty quickly. The schedule starts out very challenging for Auburn. In two weeks, they're going to go on the road to Georgia, and then the following weekend, they're going to go out to California. They're going to ride against Fresno State and then UC Davis. So those three meets will be very challenging, and I'm just going to say it might be difficult for Auburn to start 3-0 and this season. It's possible, and hopefully from what we see at this scrimmage on Friday, it'll give us an indication of just how likely that possibility is. As I said, I'll be there keeping an eye on things, so if you're in the area, swing on by, come on by, say hi, And just like, you know, at the kickoff party recap, it's really cool to see these people and and meet people in person. So I've also been trying to put down a little primer for each of the teams in the sport, just, uh, you know, who lost what starters and all that good stuff. It's been slowing down because of the amount of time I've spent working on the new Elvis costume. Uh, Also, I've been making updates to a lot of spreadsheets and all that stuff, yada, yada, yada. But I will be giving my impressions on all the teams here coming up soon. It's just whether or not I'm going to do it all in one big episode or if I'm going to scatter them out. I think I'm going to scatter them out as it's appropriate because, you know, like I said, some of these teams haven't even ridden yet. So now speaking of the meets coming up, this Thursday we have an interesting meet between Baylor and South Carolina. The Bears are traveling halfway across the country and we'll see if the Gamecocks can continue the success that they saw in week one. The next day, Baylor will make the short trip down into the Peach State and do battle against Georgia, and that one should be a good one. Both of these teams finished last season pretty close to one another, and, uh, you know, we'll see how it goes. After that, in the afternoon, Texas A&M will be visiting Fresno State, and I expect that the Aggies will bounce back from their close loss and look pretty good against the Bulldogs in that one. Now, the next day, we've got three meets on the schedule. First off is Dartmouth at UT Martin. This will be a jump and seat only meet. I think the Skyhawks are going to do pretty well considering how good Lynchburg looked against Dartmouth, but we'll have to keep an eye on that one just to make sure. After that, we have SMU visiting Oklahoma State. Now, that should be a good one. It'll give us a chance to see if the Mustangs have made up for some of the roster attrition that they had in the offseason. But I'll tell you, I really think this one's going to go to the Cowgirls just because, well, one, they're the number one team in the defending national championships. And two, they only had one starter from uh, last season's roster, starting roster, that uh, left because of graduation. So they're basically in that same boat that TCU is in, where they are enjoying another year that is practically the same as last year, at least from a roster standpoint. And then the last meet of the weekend will be Texas A&M at UC Davis. Just like their meet from a day before, I expect Texas A&M to look pretty good against uh, UC Davis. Well, those are all the previews for week two. Man, it's exciting to think about the new season beginning. Doesn't seem like that long ago we were wrapping things up down in Ocala, and now here we are kicking things off again for another year, and I think it's going to be a fun one. Well, that is all for this episode. I am your host, Auburn Elvis. I'll thank you very much for listening, and war horses.
Thank you for tuning in to today's episode on the E2C Network. On your way out, I want to remind you to stop by E2Cnetwork.com. It's your one-stop shop for all our content across our podcast, YouTube channel, and much more. To stay up to date with us, make sure you're following social media accounts such as Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. While our content here may always be Auburn sports heavy, if it's orange and blue, it's what we do. War Eagle.